Acupuncture. Acupuncture is the original biohack. Binaural beats. Nootropics. Tom, can you even spell nootropics? Supplements. Psychedelics. They told us not to take drugs. Now there's all this research on taking drugs. Science of compounding. Orgasmic meditation. Individual results may vary. <laughs> and a whole bunch of other stuff we find interesting. I don't want to spend 12 grand to shine a red light on my junk. Just a couple of guys talking about somewhat strange health stuff. There's something weird here, but I can't put my finger on it. <laughs> Reverent Health starts now. Hello, Tom. What's up, Matt? How you been? I'm good, good, good. How are you doing? Pretty good. So I'm excited because we have a guest. It's a guest day. It's a guest day. We like guest days. Yeah. We like guest days. Because otherwise, people just have to listen to us talking. Yeah. <laughs> so occasionally trail off randomly too yeah uh, yeah. (laughs) um so with us is miss elizabeth who is actually already on the line and we don't generally um have people in this quickly but we like her so much we just had her right in so (laughs) so um elizabeth cardiello right did i say that right you did okay great awesome welcome thank you thank you yeah so we I can't honestly. I can't wait to talk to you about this tonight because uh, we're we're all into the geeky stuff. So I'm just going to let you kind of get going on this because I just want to dive into the fun stuff. So give us uh, give us a little bit on on what you do here, your 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 company, and like let's talk about your uh, your what you do, and then like let's peel it apart. All right. So what we do is called Brave Conversations Over Coffee. We essentially help we turn companies into communities. So we help companies have, you know, the conversations that they don't have and to build culture, to change culture, to shift culture. Um, And I mean, if you think about it, every single initiative a company has starts and ends with communication. And yet it's such, it's such a foundational thing that we don't realize that we can use it as the driver of change. And yet, so what I help leaders do essentially is figure out how to make every conversation their people have drive the kind of culture they want to be part of, whether that's inclusion, high performance, creativity, innovation, you know, well-being, you name it, belonging. Um, you can do it through communication. And a lot of a lot of what we do is built on the science of psychological safety, as well as things like hostage negotiation, positive psychology, um, neuroscience in general. I'm a complete dork. We're going to have a lot of fun. <laughs> Oh, I, I mean, like I, I've got goosebumps hearing just the words. You're just like talking. I'm like, oh, I want to talk about all of that. <laughs> I, with with hostage negotiation, do yeah. you do both sides of it? Because I'm thinking about uh, <laughs> taking some people. <laughs> We're not going to go there. <laughs> okay. So, all right. So keep going. Sorry. I. By the way, I just thought so it, our first tangent of the day, Elizabeth, is have you seen Chris Voss's uh, masterclass on hostage negotiation? I have not. I've read his book, but oh, I've not seen the masterclass. Oh, my God. Okay, so a little brief unsolicited plug for masterclass. I, I actually got masterclass subscription because of that course. And really? it is worth every... Yeah, it's amazing. I love it. Now, if someone like you might find it... Uh, true. Full disclosure, you might find it less intriguing than I did because I'm starting from zero and you're not. Um, I mean, but it is awesome. Uh, yeah, he he's he's pretty great. I mean, I love that he made things like active listening popular. So I, totally. I bow to him daily. 
because he made this yeah. more mainstream. Um, my background is not a background personally in hostage negotiation. My dad was in intelligence before I was born. Um, right. And so I found out after, so he passed away when I was 26, but I had a mentor who just happened to be a hostage negotiator for 40 years. And he, he kept saying huh. something different about the way you communicate. You communicate like I trained you, like you, you, you follow my model. I don't get it. What is, who are you? And I was like, I don't know, dude. And, and it took me, <laughs> we, were, we were at a, he, so he runs something called high performance leadership in, uh, in Switzerland at IMD business school. Um, and I went and he's like, dude, but you, you're different. I don't. So the way we met was we both gave a TEDx talk at the same conference and he was probably the oldest presenter and I was probably the youngest and he had just had a hip replacement. So, you know, I walked slowly with him to lunch and dress rehearsal and we rehearsed together and our talks were very different. Obviously mine was about coffee at that point. Um, but losing my dad, his was about hostage negotiation, but also losing his son. Um, and so we totally mm. bonded, but we became really close. And so at one point, finally, he was like, so tell me more about your dad. And when I, when I randomly said, oh, well, he, was, he was in intelligence for a while. He was like, oh my God, how did you, he, uh -huh. he was trained in this. He was trained in the thing yeah. that I've been How did you about. leave that off of this list? <laughs> <laughs> why didn't you open with that? Yeah, why didn't you open with that? Exactly. No. You should have started there. Well, yeah. So, so that's the that's, that's the funny. piece of that. I mean, it was, yeah, super random. But um, it's interesting what we do. I, depending on depending on who we're talking to, but one of the sort of interesting things that I love watching happen when someone is communicating bravely, and I'll I'll explain what that means. It's brave is a framework. It's an acronym. Each it's a five step framework essentially. And most people that talk about communication talk about the talking part because we all really like to talk. I'm essentially talking about the listening part constantly. So brave people think is, I love when I get the, oh my gosh, you're like the Brene Brown of coffee, brave conversations, right? Over coffee. Like that sounds good. And it's like, I love you. Thank you. Yes. Compare me to her every day from Sunday and I'll be very happy. <laughs> yeah. Yet, <laughs> yet I'm not actually talking about you being vulnerable. I'm, I'm helping you create the environment where other people can share what's true for them and not feel scared about it. So I'm, I'm helping you create the environment where other people can be vulnerable because you can't ask them to be. You can control yourself and that's really it, right? So, um, so what we're doing is essentially giving people a framework for how to listen in a way that neurologically creates safety. Um, and it's hmm. all science and it's actually not that. So I've, I've heard the brave. <laughs> sure. No, and I, I, I have heard the brave talk, the whole, the whole talk, the non-science part of this. And, and that's kind of how we met and I love, uh, and I loved it, but had a question that I didn't raise that day is for you, what came first? Cause you have an interesting Venn diagram here. There's like a high scientific aptitude that you're applying to this and, mm -hmm. and obviously a huge interest in the nerdy stuff of it, but you clearly have a, like a huge beat on the EQ part of this equation too, and the human to human situation. So like, was this sort of like a rising tide raises all boats and you both kind of came up together or did you kind of start one place and jump to the other? I mean, where I started was coffee, actually. So I, I guess back up where I started was yeah. my dad. Yeah, I had the background he had trained me to communicate right. in a very specific way, but also had, like I said in the in the workshop, aneurysms on his aorta, high blood pressure, heart attacks, my whole life, and so it became a running joke in my house that you know when his blood pressure was high, my mom would say, "Go talk to your dad." 
And I, I, I learned it over time, but I could tell that if I could control myself and have a certain kind of conversation with him, I could make his blood pressure go down. But That's in awesome. the moments where I didn't control myself, and, and as like, you know, a seven to nine to 16 year old, you can't always do that. The moment yeah. I didn't, I learned very quickly that it got worse. And so I knew, it, I mean, I, I, A, I just thought I was a unicorn. I didn't think it was science. <laughs> right. There's like actually something here. Um, but there's, I mean, and I spent years after losing him trying to figure out like, what is that thing? Because you can disarm people by the way you communicate with them or not. And so much has to do with simple things like making it about yourself or not, mm -hmm. and knowing how to reposition things in a way that other people can hear, but also managing your responses to things. And the moment you make it about, like you, making it about yourself in terms of the way that you frame things and the way that you speak to others, because it's like, um, have you guys heard of like the love language test? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's I swear there's a point to this. You know how if you know yours. <laughs> It's cool and you can kind of parade around and talk about yours. But the point isn't knowing yours. The point is you're going to give the way that you want to receive, but that's not the way that the other person receiving mm. your support or love might actually receive it. So you need to know theirs. And right. so in, in terms of the communication part of this, not making it about you means positioning things in a way that other people can hear and understand and act on. And in terms of listening piece, what we innately do, our ego loves to make everything about us. And what's really mm -hmm. happening is that other people have different perceptions and models of the world and stories and things that are going on for them that you know nothing about. And they're sharing something that is actually probably vulnerable, but may, may look like defensiveness or frustration. Mm. And if you can't see, they're actually sharing something with me. You think it's about you and you're like, why are you doing that? And you meet it with your own defensiveness. And if you can't listen in a way that's sort of neutral, you, you'll never, you like, you can't get as far as you want to get ever. Um, yeah. so Elizabeth, sort of can I ask you? So, so that sounds, and I always relate, I'm an acupuncturist, so I always relate everything back to that, right? And we talk about these different constitutional types, right? So certain people want to be cared for. Certain people want to know everything's going to be all right. And the language that you have to choose then, if I'm saying this right, is as important as the way you say things certain words are going to hit differently. Mm -hmm. Is that, okay. is that a fair assessment there? I completely dumbed it down after I said, <laughs> we're going to, we're going to get all nerdy on this. No, totally. I mean, it, that, that part is, it is science. But when I, when I talk about what I did with my dad, for example, mm -hmm. there's, I was searching, I was about to do research with Nokia Bell Labs years ago because I, so in positive psychology, they tell you all the ways that you can self-regulate. So if you're mm -hmm. in stress, in threat, in fight or flight, not okay, you can do things like take deep breaths, you know, give someone a hug, skin on skin contact. You know, you can do a host, you can meditate, you can do a host of things um, for the mind and for the body, right? Like you can do it in, in many different ways. But the hard part is that self-regulating is actually really quite difficult because you need to have the control and the awareness to not fly off the handle and then to go do something healthy, right? Whereas if you can just turn to someone else and be like, I'm not okay, can we have a brave conversation? And they can sink into that place of knowing how to listen to you, you can co-regulate. So it's called co-regulation. Mm. Um, you can do it together and it's just so much easier um, than having to stop, 
ground yourself, figure it out, do it. Like when you're in a bad spot, that's really hard to do. <laughs> yeah. I, I have just talked to a um, public speaking coach recently who said public speaking is a management of nervous systems, yours and anyone listening to you. Mm-hmm. And it's, I'm, I'm feeling like yours is sort of the, uh, exactly. the more studied version of that. I think his yeah. was basically saying like, I mean, his point was basically you show up like a frenetic mess and now a bunch of people who had otherwise great days or walk out like a basket case. And he's like, that's, you know, and he's like, and and so that was his point, which I thought was fun. But like, so, so, I mean, I don't know, is that a good segue into the sciencey part of this? Cause I'm curious what, what, when we're talking about co-regulation, like what, what are we talking about here? Like what's happening? Co-regulation is essentially you can turn to another person and you can also turn to a memory of a person or like an internalized safe person mm. and find safety there. Um, and you can call it, you know, there's there's something called secure based leadership, which is, you know, there are things in your life that remind you of who you are and ground you and make you feel capable to take a step forward, even if you're scared. Mm. But the way that our nervous systems essentially developed, we... We essentially look to our, I mean, I, in the most basic terms, our primary caregivers initially to say, am I okay? And you're constantly looking at faces, you're hearing tones of voice, you're watching body language to find threat, right? And if, I mean, there, is, there are studies around if a parent, like if a mom doesn't look at her child, we, we regulate through facial expression so much and just seeing and connecting to eyes, to faces if we don't know what we're doing with our faces, we can actually send someone in distress. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you're thinking about co-regulation, it's essentially just like being an embodied safe presence for someone else to turn to when they're not okay. And if you're grounded enough, we mirror each other. Our brains mirror each other. And so you, you're able to actually bring them down from a stressful state and make them feel safe and, you know, get them like get their brain back online essentially because you can't mm. connect problem solve be creative do anything productive when you're in fight or flight so right right now is there which, which one of the the parts of brave is is that part like where what, so, what, what, the, the whole thing is based it's on the whole thing so Got a it. lot of the reason that therapy works um is m- most basically there is there is this person that you can trust and you can go then you can say anything to them and they're just going to accept you, right? They're not going to judge you. Um, mm. And so it's a version of co-regulation. Like it doesn't have to be your primary caregivers if you didn't have them or if they didn't work for you. If that if that's not a thing, you can find other people. And uh, have you ever heard of like reparenting? Yeah. It's a version yeah. of like you can turn to someone else and they can make you feel safe in that same yeah. way. Right. And so we can do that all the time. So the whole thing is based on co-regulation. Um, Got it. When we think of the steps of BRAVE, so – Obviously, like I said, it's it's an acronym. So the B stands for be present. The R stands for rapport. The A stands for active listening. The V stands for vulnerability. And the E stands for empathy. Um, some of the most basic, but to me, mind-blowing science of it is, so when you talk about being present, we think, okay, that's easy. I just have to be here. Well, that's actually not what we do. So what do you do when someone comes to you with a problem? And they're like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. This is terrible. I'm going to spontaneously combust. I'm not okay. Right? What is the first thing you do innately? I think you you panic a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
And then I mean, I, I'm sort of on the more blunt side, Tom. I'm just like, what do you need? What's up? How do you, how, what, what's the problem? Like, I just jump right into like yeah, problem yeah. solving mode. My brain, I don't, I think it's a personality defect actually. Cause like, I literally, I'm not that guy who's like, when your wife comes to you and says, blah, 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 she doesn't want. Help. Oh no, I, I immediately and ask like, how, how, and I'm I like, fix how it. do I fix this? Yeah. <laughs> like immediately. Like, yeah, I just no, jump I get right that. There. Yeah. So. So yes, that is, and it's not just the two of you. This is sure. everyone. This is all of us. This is anybody with an ego. And if you've transcended that, call me because I'd like to know how. Yeah, right. Um, but anyone that has an ego, we we want to help someone, right? We want to fix it. We want to give them advice. We want to take their pain away. We want to make it stop. A, because mm. we don't want someone that we care about in pain. And B, because if they're in pain, it, they're uncomfortable, but we're also kind of uncomfortable. Like we kind of yeah, want yeah, to stop for sure. because it makes us uncomfortable too. And like, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for our dinner tonight? Are you not going to be okay? Is this going to be bad? Like, you know, we we go down that path. We don't ever say it or it's probably not even conscious, but it happens. It's there. Um, and so the research essentially yeah. says that the best thing you can do for someone is not dive in and fix them, is actively not fixing their problem because so there's there's a study called it's called social baseline theory and so the study was studied it followed three different people and it basically said you're you're a person you're by yourself you're looking at this mountain you have to climb you're looking at this challenge right and you're by yourself mm. and you're like i don't know if i can do that like that looks hard i they can't in the second scenario same person looking at the same mountain, the same challenge, but there's someone with them that like they kind of sort of think maybe they can trust, but there's someone with them. Their brain looked at the exact same thing. Nothing has changed. And they're like, it's really hard, but like, I don't know, maybe I could do it. Mm. And in the third scenario, same person, same mountain, same brain, there's someone with them called a trusted beloved in the research that they know they can trust. There's someone that can just that's that's there with them that they know like I'm I'm good if you're here I'm good. Their brain perceives that same challenge as like yeah it's gonna be hard but like I can I can do this. Wow. Nothing changed. That person's not gonna carry them up the mountain, train them to get up the mountain, hoist them on the back. Nothing. Just witnessing, just observing them and being with them as they walk through the challenge, is what our brain perceives as the best possible thing you can give to us. So that's the gold mm. standard right there. Yeah. So it's how Interesting. do you not dive in and fix someone and rather, so like here are the difference. Like, I'm coming to you saying like, oh my God, something's wrong. And you're like, oh, that happened to me before. Here's what I did. Don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. I got you. I'll handle it. Right? Yeah. And so initially it's like, oh, okay, that, that's gone. But then after a while, it's like, oh, well, I couldn't do that. I need them. I'm incapable. They also mm. saw uh, that I'm incapable. That's interesting. So I guess I'm, I guess I couldn't rise if I actually fell. And so I need you and I'm not good enough. Right. But if mm. your response to them is the opposite and it's like, oh, I'm, that sounds pretty hard, but you got this. What do you need? How can I support you? Like, what do you need from me? Do you know yet? Like, do you want to vent? Do you want, do you want to brainstorm? Like, where are you at? Like, like, what do you think you should do? Mm. What? That's so funny because like, I, 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 I mean, I talk to a bunch of people uh, every day, you know, I'm sure as we all do. And I would be willing to guess that nine and a half out of 10 do the first thing. <laughs> like most, I fact, yeah. Yeah. You, you know, 
Well, so that's the funny thing. Like, what what do you think is the reason for that? Because, like, I mean, so many things in human evolution. If you look at it critically, you can you can kind of find your way back to how we got there. But like, it doesn't really make any sense to me how we got to in, in this particular instance. It doesn't really make sense to me because you would think that you don't need studies to prove stuff. It, 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 humans have been figuring shit out for millennia, and you know, and so. And they didn't have Gallup polls or studies and like, you know what I mean? Like this was going on perfectly fine. So you would have think you would think that if that we would have come to the same conclusion, instead we've literally gone the opposite direction. And it just seems funny to me. Like, how do you think, how do you think that happens? I mean, number one, our schools were created in the industrial revolution. They were created yeah, to make right. really good factory workers that followed orders and didn't sure. ask questions yeah. and did what they were told. And so what do you need in a person to follow orders and do what they're told, you need them to need you. You need them to rely mm. on you. Right. right. So, I'm so not you, you need you, to literally enforce that first thing that you were talking about. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you how to yeah. be more resilient or be more confident. Right. I need you to need me. So you follow my orders. Yeah. I, I feel like, uh, what is it? The oppositional defiance disorder is grossly over. Like maybe they're just smart people that got shit figured out. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> like, maybe. Maybe. I mean, you know, they might be running into a brick wall too, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, I though is that like we don't it's not that we intend to do it Mm -hmm. our egos are such that we think we're doing a good thing we're doing it with all good intention we're not saying i want to undermine you i want to keep you under my thumb so like i'm not actually sure if what i just said has any merit or not like it's not because i said it's not right it's Mm -hmm. it's just our our egos want to be important. We want to be needed. And so if someone's hurting, we want to be the alpha that can fix it, that can take it away, that can that can win their love, their belonging, their something. I mean, mm-hmm. we, our nervous systems essentially developed based on the first, say, seven or so. I mean, the early childhood, right? And depending on when we went through hard things, and it doesn't need to be particularly traumatic or terrible. It just needs to be things that were hard for that time of your life. And depending on what part of your brain had developed at that point, you develop a survival mechanism and a pattern that's like, I can't do that. Or, you know, I, or you were supposed to do that for me and you didn't thus Mm. forget you. I got it. I'll do it on my own. Don't bother me. Or it could be something like, just tell me what to do to deserve love and belong, give me the rules. I will follow them to a T. Just tell me what to do. Or it's like, I just want to make sure you're okay because if you're not okay, then I can't get my needs met because you need to meet my needs for me, right? Like, it, And so depending mm. on where your brain was at the time that you experienced something, that same, I need, I need to figure this out to survive is different. And so, but we keep that right. and then we apply it to everything in our lives and <laughs> we don't know we're doing it. Yeah, no. That's that's interesting. And so um, it's weird how we get into holding on or go, going into these patterns, because like as you're talking, I'm like, God, I I can see. That. I mean, they say what you're either giving power or, or, or taking power in every interaction with somebody and like you, you have to modulate that on your own. But like mm. but so many people don't even think that that's a question to ask, right? Like, am I giving too much power in this conversation? Am I taking too much power in this conversation? Like, I don't... Interesting. How many people, you know, ask that question? That's what I like about this this sort of way of thinking because the more I go down the road of like thinking about how my communication patterns 
interact with other people's communication patterns, the more I'm realizing that there is absolutely a deliberate nature to this that you have to just actually do. Like you're not born with this shit. Like mm. it is not, you know, it is definitely not innate. Right. And it's endlessly fascinating to me that we're, do that we're now having these conversations because I realize how much I was doing way wrong, like <laughs> way wrong, you know, and yeah. it's been a quicker March for me to get into focus because I'm going to be obviously working on this forever, but, but at least getting into the right, lens like i was just i didn't even have the right gear in, on my camera i was like yeah. that far out like yeah i know. mean you and everyone else in the world right like that's that's why the brave framework is so powerful i mean i had um an executive this past week literally turn to me in a session and say i've done a lot of personal development i've done every leadership course every leadership book <laughs> Every, every, everything. And I have never seen myself grow and transform as quickly as I have. And we're only halfway mm. through the program. We have another month awesome. left with you. And yeah. I was like, well, that, that, that's the point, right? Like it's intense in the beginning, but it's, I, I liken it to learning a language. If A, if you don't use it, you'll lose it. If you don't do it consistently and keep practicing it, like you're going to mess it up. This is not, you, mm -hmm. you're not getting a trophy for like, I've done it. I'm done. I have it now. It's like, no, it's more of a practice, like a meditation sort of a thing. Like it is a constant journey because you're going to keep seeing things that come up that you don't respond well to. But once you mm. see yourself, once you see how you do things and you, and you understand, and there's a, the awareness there and you can take the moment to be like, hold on, I, you can stop yourself mid reaction and be like, no, 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 that's not how I want to respond to this. And you can change it. Yeah, you can no, absolutely. Do it in real time. And it's like, do you guys speak other languages? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah, I speak moment, Spanish. Okay. I, I mean, I don't completely, but I've had the moment in Italian where <laughs> like, I got good enough for a little while that an mm. entire sentence came out and I like didn't wow. think about it. Like I didn't use it's my exciting, brain. It just it? came out and like I conjugated, I knew the vocab. And, and it was like, and I made a joke, like I made it and it was quick too. Like I made a joke in the moment and I was like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. I am a master of Italian. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but I think that's, that's functional that to be able yeah. to convey uh, a concept like comedy, right? Sure. You know, that's, that's really, that's higher level. That's not, where's the bathroom? Can I please get my check or something? That is, yeah, you know, but I mean, those are, those are very important phrases, but to show some level of, look, I can translate a joke on the fly without overthinking it. I, that's, that's some level of understanding. Yeah. I mean, and, so and in the same of, way that that feels so good when you, when you watch your response to something that mm -hmm. constantly has been a bad thing, like led to a bad conversation or like not the outcome that you wanted. When you watch yourself mm -hmm. respond to something differently in the moment without even thinking about it, like when brave becomes a muscle, you're like, oh my God, I am magical. Like I'm watching myself respond differently. And it is, it is one of the coolest things I've ever experienced. <laughs> watching That's it awesome. and also so experiencing it myself. Um, so, so that first one was be present and I, and obviously like Tom and I, uh, at long history of meditation and, and, you know, all kinds of martial arts and all kinds of stuff. So I'm a, I'm a lifelong believer in the, in the present. I'm not always great at it, but I definitely love the, uh, the, in, in the present. But what was the second one that you said? The R? The R stands for rapport. 
So, so is like, talk to me about that a little bit because I think this is the one I understood the least. So rapport is kind of a fancy way of saying trust. Building rapport with someone is that moment where you feel that they feel what you feel, right? It's like, oh, she's mm. got my back. She gets me, right? And rapport actually came from hostage negotiation because hostage oh, negotiators are not allowed to negotiate, to request behavioral change. They're not allowed to say, will you please put down your weapon? Until they've built a bond, hmm. until they've built rapport. Now, think about that. There is someone with a weapon. There are humans that are hostage. You're not allowed to say, stop what you're doing until you've bonded with this person, right? And how do you bond with this person and not judge them and listen to what they're saying and what they're not saying? Like, how do you do that? Because your innate response hmm. is, you're a bad human because you're doing a bad thing. <laughs> when in reality, they're probably the human that really needs they have they have a really deep seated need that they have not gotten met and right. the people that are you know acting out the most are usually the ones that need the most love in you know for lack of a better way of saying it um and so rapport is rapport comes from the stair step model of behavioral change from hostage negotiation because if you don't have that mm -hmm. if you don't build trust whether you're a crossfit coach a marketer a hostage negotiator a human, a CEO, right? Like no one's going to listen to you. No one's going to put more weight or take weight off their bar or listen to you if they ha if you haven't earned their trust because you don't know them. You don't know what I can lift, what my injuries are. Don't tell me to put more on. I can't. Mm. I can or what? Like don't tell me to take any off. Sure. Right. Um, for a marketer, it's like, do you have permission to be in my inbox? Like Seth Godin is a is a mentor of mine, and he, I mean, permission marketing is. You're not, you're not supposed to be able to get to me unless I've said, yes, please send me your news. Sure, yeah. Anything else is like, yeah. that stuff from Seth is pretty permission marketing. It's like, I, I mean, m advertising production and advertising design. So like we, you know, are tangential to that all day long. Mm -hmm. We're not in the mechanical side of it, but man, it is fascinating to, he's got some really good thoughts on that. And like, as a marketer, the guy in marketing, it's, it does change how you frame what you're doing for for a living, yeah. right? Like you 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 actually produce different products, right? Like yeah. because totally because I'm looking at it through that process. lens, going, do I want this in my inbox? Because if the answer is no, then I'm not done with this yet. Like right. I need this to yeah. be better, right? Yeah. It's but I wouldn't have that frame of reference if I hadn't read that stuff and been like, oh, you know what? That's a great question to ask. Like, what a mm -hmm. better way to look at this exact thing, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, um, and if you're and, if you're in a conversation or you need to have a hard conversation. If you approach it from the standpoint of how do I use this opportunity to build greater trust, you will approach it innately, rather than how do I use this opportunity to like be right or get what I want. Correct. Right? Like if you're using it mm -hmm. to build trust, something is different than I need to win. Right. Like every second we take, you know, that that we're putting winning ahead, because winning is a one-dimensional, like if I get this, then I'll then I'll then I'll be okay. Then mm -hmm. I'll win. Um, right. But it's good. No, no, that I was just going to say the rapport <laughs> thing. I understand. Thank you for that. Cause I, I, I didn't really quite get that, but I think you just said it in a different way maybe, but that is one of those things that, um, that, that masterclass you're, you're going to really love then because he does an acting, he does a, a, a live, a series of live interactions with somebody mm -hmm. where he actually walks them down this path and like, I'm just listening. And within like, I don't know, minute, two minutes, I like 
want to go to the guy's house for Christmas dinner. Like he's just, it, it, and, but when he peels it back afterwards and you're like, God, I just fell for that hook. Like, I know it was coming and I fell for it. Right. Like, I mean, I, I mean, I was warned ahead of time that it was happening and I still fell for it hook, line and sinker. And then when he mm. peels it back at the end, he said, step one, I did this step two, I did this step three. And you could literally see him pull this woman in this case, like just down the tunnel, like he, she was started over here and then ended way over here. And it was, it's fascinating when you apply, when you, when you do that. Um, and you're right. There's a difference of going into a conversation saying, I, I want to win this lawsuit versus I want to settle this lawsuit, right? Like those are like different frames of mm -hmm. mind and yeah. probably body. And, and I'm sure that you get, I mean, do you and your, does the brave get into the mechanics of body and how we interpret that in this because there's a different posturing imagining like if i want to go win a lawsuit i'm probably standing different sitting different mm -hmm. so you know what it comes after the r is a is active listening which also comes from hostage negotiation i'm sure he talked about that too um yeah yeah he did but what yeah okay keep going sorry <laughs> Um, no, my bad. I was gonna, I was gonna ask what about the active listening, but we can look back. Shut on up, it. Matt. Yeah, I'm <laughs> so the, the, I mean, they say the best way to build rapport is by active listening, and people, like, yes, it's not scrolling, right? Like it's, it's actually turning towards someone, looking at their face, listening with all of you, right? Like I, I describe it as listening with your eyebrows. And then people mm -hmm. like try and do it and then they smile and I'm yeah. like, oh my God, I can listen yeah. to my eyebrows. Like that, that actually works. Um, and it's, you know, not, not being distracted is one thing. A lot of the ways that people describe active listening, it's they, they describe like the responses and the questions you can ask to, to go deeper into what someone cares about. I have found that it is way too soon to introduce what you're saying because then you dive into fixing so quickly. Like I still have to sit on my own hands with the people that I love most because I, I mm -hmm. innately want to dive into fix. So te like teaching this, we start with you say thank you for sharing and you give your support with your body language and the way that you're listening. And then it's just understood for the moment. So we don't talk about what you're saying back, but active listening is also when you think about communication, 7%. Seven, just just a one, just one number. Seven percent is the words you say. Seven. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's that's, uh, that's not a lot. No. Um, thirty-five percent is tone of voice. Fifty-five percent. Did I do that right? Thirty-eight. I'm not keeping a tally. <laughs> I, I, I I left my abacus in the I other uh, in the other. Um, yeah. Fifty-five percent is so more than half is facial expression and body language and that's hmm. what we focus on most because tone some different cultures it's different it's hard, it's hard it doesn't yeah. it doesn't matter as much um body language and facial expression are spot on and your social engagement system is essentially your face to brain connection and is one of the fastest points of recognition that we have you're not even conscious oh, wow. of it but you I mean, we're, if we're constantly looking for threat, right, we're scanning people's faces for, am I okay? Are you okay? Am I safe? What's going on? Yeah, you're and an instant looking. like life buoy. She's good. Yeah. He's good. Yeah. <laughs> Don't I know mean, him. Got If you think about a conversation as a hostage situation, right, like go to the absolute extreme, what's happening? Would you ever look away from someone who had a weapon? No. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. 
Yeah. So why do you yeah. look away from the people that you love most or the people that you need to, you know, really crush a project with? Why do you look away from them when they're talking? Because there are things that are happening on their face that if you're looking at them, you'll see. And if you're not, you'll miss it. You'll miss that opportunity to build rapport and say, wait a minute, something just happened for you. Tell me more. Something happened. In your what, what happened there? Like, are you okay? Hold on. Stop everything. Like you miss. So like they lean mm -hmm. back. Wait, you're turned off. What's going on? Right? Like they lean forward. Like, oh, you're interested in this. Okay. Like, right. You can see so much just by looking at the person, which we don't do. All right. And, and, and we're, oh, go ahead. No, there go. <laughs> no, so I was going to say, this is a bit more than say a, a micro expression where we might not catch it. You're, you're saying bigger movements that are, are going to be uh, visible if we're looking. I mean, bigger movements, but also if you're, if you're aware of, I'm going to, I'm going to stay with this person's face and mm -hmm. watch this person's face. You can, you can internally take the temperature of a room just seeing faces you and, and you can, by moderating your own, you can actually start to change the state of everyone in the room. If you're open and inviting, and if you have a certain look on your face, energy about you, we mirror each other. That's what we do. Mm -hmm. And if you have people's eyes and if they're looking at you back, you can change people's states. You can change a state of a whole room. If you're in a zoom room, especially because you can see all the faces so if people are actually actively listening and they're looking at you and you're looking at them, you can actually get people to the state that you need them to be in to be able to build trust more quickly than if you're not looking at them. Oh, and and by the way, uh, Elizabeth, on on my monitor, you're on the right side, so I am looking at you. <laughs> and it is so funny. I have four monitors and I have it on multiple screens, and so I can see you guys in four different places. It's just it's funny, but but you know you were saying that. Elizabeth, and like one of the one of the add-ons to that that I I'm sure has got to come up in your course, but I noticed all those things too. Anybody who's studied this at all knows like lean in, good, lean back, bad, cross the mm -hmm. arms, not good. You know, like I mean, there's a couple of the macro ones, but how the amount of people that I know that know that same information and lack the fortitude to call someone out on it or bring it up publicly is like. Yeah. It orders of magnitude different, right? Like nobody does that. And I feel like there's some kind of psychological like brick wall that people are like, no, I'm, I'm not going to calling that out and saying like, you're not happy with this. What's up? How can I, you know, what, what just happened for you? I, I know so many people would be like, nope, I'm not going to be the guy to ask that question. Sorry, not, not happening. Which is so unfortunate because one of the measures of psychological safety, so back up, psychological safety, Google found was the number one determining factor in high-performing teams. Number one of five. Oh, really? The other four were built upon psychological safety. So you couldn't even get to those without having psychological right. safety. And psychological safety is, is essentially defined as feeling comfortable enough to, to, to voice your opinion, to share what's true, to say... I'm not okay. I am okay. I need more. I need less. You know, I might fail. I did fail. Like to share whatever is true without the fear of embarrassment, repercussion, punishment, judgment. So it's feeling safe enough to share what's true. Right. Um, and so what's interesting about it is when companies and teams don't do that. And when people don't say like, wait a minute, you don't agree. Tell me more. We're so afraid to not all be on the same page. 
we're so afraid of conflict because we don't know, we weren't taught how to manage it. We weren't taught how to have brave conversations and welcome difference and show that we can actually find linkage and connection and more innovative ideas in difference. We all have to be the same, right? Um, mm -hmm. we're, we're less, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a proven um, essentially checkbox of like, do you feel psychologically safe in this place, on this team or not? And teams that don't are the ones that are like, I don't really feel comfortable saying anything. I don't feel comfortable saying I'm not okay. I don't feel comfortable sharing an idea that might fail because like, I don't know, it might fail. I don't, I don't want to be responsible for that. And they don't like- That one was a big one for me to get over personally, like in the advertising world where you're pitching ideas left and right. Most of them suck, like, or at least- aren't good to. enough to get out the door, right? Like most of them, right? Like, you know, one TV commercial had 200 not TV commercials, right? Like, so there, mm -hmm. you know, and so, I mean, that's a tough one to get over because no one, I mean, even to this day, I'm like, I don't want to really be wrong again like, on this. But then you're like, that's silly. I'm just going to throw it out there anyway, you know, but. Well, it's also like, you're not, if you're, if you're putting up that brick wall, you may not ever come to the crazy idea that will work. You'll stay with the same mm -hmm. thing that everyone's done before. You're not going to come up with anything new because you're only going to tread on the water that you know you're not going to drown in. It, but you're never going to find yeah, the yeah. magical island that's across the way, right? Like it just you can't <clears throat> you you can't stay the same and and discover new things, right? So you, you know what's funny? Oh, what? what? Sorry. <laughs> go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish. <laughs> I was going to say, it's not please. I didn't too. like. The more shots yeah. you take, the more that go in. Yeah. It's, you know, talking about it from a weird standpoint, like LSD, this is one of those things where it takes you out of that mindset, right? Mm -hmm. And you start making those corollaries that you wouldn't normally see. And I'm wondering if that part of the psychedelic experience then is this uh, feeling of safety, mm -hmm. you yeah. know, like, like, you know. Yeah, totally. I mean, so I, I'm not an expert on this. A dear friend is running. Um, he works at Hopkins. He's studied the, the transcendental emotion of awe for his entire career. Mm -hmm. wow. um, That's awesome. So he's working on psychedelics. But so there are three human emotions that essentially combat burnout. Um, and mm. they are gratitude, compassion, and awe. Awe is interesting because awe takes us, it actually, so our brain was designed and developed to combat the fundamental problem of uncertainty, right? Our brain hates uncertainty. We just wants to know. But interestingly, the emotion of awe takes us out, like we lose our executive function. We can't hmm. control anything, but in the emotion of awe, we're still pushed forward. It actually opens us up to a more constructive version of uncertainty. So it actually pushes us forward. And that's what psychedelics do. They make you feel safe, but they also get you into the state of oneness and you're, you're able to just be, and you don't, mm. you lose the executive needing to be right, needing to control. And when that goes away, you go into what's called default mode. And so your default mode network, um, is essentially the place where, you know how when you're going on a run or in the shower or folding socks, that's when you solve the problems, not when you're cognitively trying to solve the problems. Um, yeah. So 
having that space, doing that, like you'll, you'll get in the car, you'll start to drive home on a very familiar route. And before you know it, you're home. You have mm-hmm. no recollection of how you got there, right? Because you were completely somewhere else. When the default mode ne- network comes online, when you're doing something repetitive or you're not in your left brain, you're not adding two plus two, that's when it solves social problems. That one, that's when it actually gets into like the imaginative mode. And mm. when you're in the emotion of awe, you turn off your executive function and you turn on your default mode network. And so it actually that's gets to this place of creation. Interesting. I wonder if in psychedelic research should they, they figured out that that default, because I think I, I have read that uh, some work with the, I want to say it was either MDMA or psilocybin that does sort of hyperactivate that default mode network and, and by converse shut down your executive like almost entirely. And you're just basically playing in that sandbox only. Um, I I'm totally butchering that. I just can't remember. You read so many of these things. I can't remember what, what it was, but we actually met the guys who are running that psychedelic research at Hopkins and like for the, the studies they have, I, I mean, we, we, we could spend 10 shows talking about that. I mean, but they, they found out like now they're in such cool nerdy land that they figured out that they've treated so many people for PTSD that they found out that like 80% of them stopped smoking at the same time. They're like, <laughs> yeah. huh? Like, you know, and, and I'm making that up, but it was like some measurable enough, measurable enough where it got their eyebrows to go up and be like, what the, why the hell is that happening? And then they, now they could look at that specifically. They could be like, Hey, can we use, you know, a, a giant dose of psilocybin to get you to quit smoking? Well, yeah. And here's all this pie chart here that I'll show you all about it. <laughs> I could tell you all. And it's the, the, volume of information they have about this is is actually awe inspiring and you want to talk about awe when i when i first met these guys i was like an hour and a half of just like (laughs) jaw on the ground like oh my god are you serious Mm -hmm. um anyway but uh but yeah so what what is just because i we we can't end tonight without hearing the rest of it what's the v now let's let's v is vulnerability vulnerability So in terms of trying to do this quickly, um, when we think of... Well, no, we've got time. Yeah, I just don't, don't worry. Yeah, yeah we're we not... Like we're, leave we're, you we got plenty of time. All I'm saying is like, I don't want it to be like, you know, we're like, you know, oops, shit, we forgot the video. I don't, I don't know. My whole <laughs> studio here is on yeah. a timer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> everything just shuts down. Yeah, I just go dark. Shuts down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the V stands for vulnerability. And the best way to describe it is like when we think of vulnerability, we think squishy, soft, I need a shoulder to cry on, I'm embarrassed, I'm scared, right? Like we think of the things that, you know, you want someone to put your arm, them to put their arm around you and be like, it's okay. Vulnerability is essentially the definition is just the sharing of an emotion, right? Mm. That's it. And so it could be a soft, squishy emotion. It can also be a more prickly one. Like anger is vulnerability, right? Defensiveness, frustration, they're all vulnerability, but our problem is we don't consider them vulnerability because we like, we want you to, you know, share your darkest secrets so we can connect. So if you're sad, I can help you. Right. But when you're angry, it's really hard. Well, then I'm, and you're angry at me. Well, then I'm going to get defensive because I'm right. No, you're right. So, and we tie our self concept up in so much of being right or fixing or, do, or doing something about it that we don't think about vulnerability in terms of it's just the sharing of, a, of an emotion. And so in rave conversations, what we practice is really identifying vulnerability. And so when someone shows 
defensiveness, frustration, like the little vulnerabilities. And we're able to say like, wait a minute, if you're showing this to me, that means I actively listened well. That means you feel heard. That means I built rapport. That means you trust me. I, it means I did something right. It's an honor that you're showing me this vulnerability. So now my job is to step into empathy, which is the E, and get curious. How do I walk in your shoes? Tell me more. What, like, something's going on for you. Tell me about it. Like, it's an honor that you're sharing this with me. What else is there, right? And so when we think about someone shares vulnerability with you, your, jo- your only job in a brave conversation, what we practice is to step into empathy. People define empathy as non-judgment. Again, unless you're Buddha and have figured that out, you're going to judge because you're human and that is what happens and you're not going to stop that. But what you can do is acknowledge it and be like, okay, I'm, I'm judging right now, right? So I'm going to intentionally take that judgment of mine, put it on the shelf. I'm going to come back to it later so that I can stay here in this conversation with you. You have to go back and figure mm-hmm. out why the heck you're judging. That's yours though. But to not make it about you and to stay with that person in that conversation, in that moment, you can put it on the shelf and just leave it and just stay with them and try to walk in their shoes, try to understand them better. Um, so you're listening to know the person better, not to build your defense, right? And so it's a, it's a very different kind of listening. Yeah, I don't know um, when you grew up, like what decade. I, I don't know how old you are. I'm 45 and I grew up in the 80s, very, very squarely in the 80s. And I will tell you, this is the hardest one for for me because it is legit the polar opposite of pretty much everything any male in my life had ever taught me back to literal birth. Like I just, mm-hmm. this is such the four, I mean, this is talking a foreign language to me. So when I heard you say this before, this was the one that I had the hardest time, mm. you know, getting my head around, but ironically also the one I recognize as having likely the highest leverage yeah. in, in a situation in not in a, not in a manipulative way, but meaning like I could literally move this conversation into a really bad place or really good place or, you know, move it around as the situation needs, if I can get a mastery of this, because I don't have this skill at all. Candidly, I'm really bad at this part. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, either I, I, I totally get the males are not allowed to be scared or sad or anything mm-hmm. but angry, right? Like guys can only show that emotion. But in, by this definition, that's your version of being vulnerable. If you're vulnerable, but being angry, you're still being vulnerable. And the the hard part is stopping yourself enough in conversation to be like, wait a minute, your defensiveness, that's a tell. Let me listen to that. Mm-hmm. What you just got defensive. What happened? What happened for you? Did I did I say something that made you feel like you needed to be defensive? We're on the same team. I want to be on the same team here, right? Like, but the moment you can sometimes address it, but the moment that you can see it, you can shift the way that you're listening, body language, responding, mm. something, and and actually tangibly see a change in the conversation immediately. You put such a fine point on so many different things in there. There's a lot to unpack in just that letter. You know, like it's kind of a big letter because like if you, like you, you just said like something I would, I've never heard or would have ever thought about. You're like, oh, this person got defensive. What, what happened? What did I say? What did I say something like just clarifying that? And it's like, Honestly, that would never even have occurred to me. Like, I think yeah. I would have 
uh, Tom, I don't, I, you, you, I don't know. Like, yeah. I, I would have come at you like a freight train if you got defensive, right? If oh, see, I would, I would have probably backed away. All right, we're done. Yeah, I would have gone the other way. All right, you don't, you, you. I mean, those are talking shit. I'm trying to help you, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but aren't those you know? two sides of the same inefficient coin, right? Like, uh, absolutely. Just talking about, <laughs> either, you know? either you're just gonna railroad them until they don't trust you anymore. You run away. They don't trust you anymore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's but also, this is a tough one for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's also when you can, so when we, when we work with companies and teams and leaders, it's like, I mean, we, we can do, you know, we can teach a whole company brave and we can get everyone used to brave. And then the next step is like, okay, who, who has a team of people who that, you know, that you really need to connect with and, you know, do better work with and actually get to high performance with, then we do a deeper dive and that will last two or three months, sometimes even six, depends, right? But what's mm -hmm. interesting is that the first thing we do, we, we do not start focusing on conversations and other people first. You can't. You have to start addressing yourself and watching all the ways that you make it about you because you're only getting defensive because you made what that person said that has nothing to do with you about you. And when mm. you can kind of step back or like zoom out enough and you know that what they're saying and their responses are completely theirs and have nothing to do with you at all. They come from something way back probably that you just reminded them of, but it's not you. You can actually stop yourself and be like, oh, what did I say that without saying it reminded you of the thing that really triggered, like that, you know, that really messes with you. So I brought it back, but it's not me. Like when you know that it's not you, you can actually ask about it. And it's not, it mm -hmm. doesn't feel like, I, I'm apologizing. I did something wrong. I'm weak. You're just acknowledging, like, I see you. I see this. It's not mine. It's yours. Tell me about it. I want to know about it because I don't want to do it again. How long does it take no somebody fun. to kind of start recognizing that? Like you start, you know, a, a Luddite like myself, just totally emotionally bankrupt and can't, can't figure out how to make any of this work. Like how long does it take to get somebody moving down the path, right? Like, I mean, A, it depends on how it's it's like anything what you put into it's what you're going to get out yeah okay so if you're if yeah. you're into this and you're like i'm really gonna you know take notes and watch myself and and so we you know if this was if we were doing this with a company we'd be meeting once a week for probably about a couple hours um with an entire group and we'd be doing that every week for two or three months yeah no i i'm, I'm sorry i think i asked my question kind of sort of nebulous i, I could have asked it clearer what i what i was kind of trying to figure out is is this like a, you can start seeing results if you put some effort into it immediately, or do you notice this being more of like a months to years kind of transition that it takes this people to get years. into? This is not years. This is, no. So what I, what I was getting to, I, I think, yeah, what I was getting to was you will start to see it immediately because you'll start seeing, like you won't have the control over it immediately, but you'll have the awareness. Oh, I see. The more mm. you talk about it and the more you keep coming back to it and learning more and going deeper and deeper, your awareness comes online immediately. Your, it seems like that people start to actually be able to make conscious shifts week three, week four, week four. Oh, wow. So pretty quick. Five. Oh, quickly. Wow. I mean, yeah. this executive had been with me for four weeks and they wow. were like, I've never seen change this fast. I've tried everything in my years of doing this. I've never seen myself grow this quickly. Um, and what's fascinating about it, it's usually between week four and week five people start to come and they're presenting differently. Like they're lighter. There's something that's, e there's an ease about them. And it's like, what's going on? 
every single time, and I love this, every single time they've started to get more comfortable with Brave and they're using it at work, yes. And yes, people are seeing differences, but they also started to use it at home. And that's Hmm. the cool part because there's something that's happening at home that you don't want to address, can't talk about, it always ends badly, but they're able to start applying this in their personal life too so that they're able to focus more at work. There's that thing that's on their shoulder all the time isn't anymore because they've now started to address it. Everything starts feeling better. I mean, we're sure we come to work and we go home, but we're integrated beings. We're not, we can't right, actually, right. It's not that easy. Like our brain doesn't know the difference. It's just like safety, not safety, safety, not safety. Am I getting what I need here? Am I getting what I need here? I just need things. So if I don't get it at work, I'm going to look to get it at home. And if I have a bad day at home, I'm going to look to get mm. it at work. And so what we really need to understand is our emotions just come from judging needs that we have that are either met or unmet. And that's it. That's all they are. And if they're not met at work, we're going to go home and that's when we're going to fight about you forgot to bring home butter. Right. You know, so much of it. Well, you were saying earlier, it's probably not about you. You know, yeah, you no. know like it's not, has nothing to do with you at all. Yeah. Um, and then I guess that's actually like a pretty, I mean, if you can sort of massage the vulnerability side, then the empathy side, the last like letter in there probably comes a lot easier, right? Or at least is a natural next step, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, when you can start to see, when you start to understand other people's patterns and what makes them get defensive or frustrated or shut down a little, when you start to understand that you can, you can have more compassion more easily. You can be like, oh, you're just freaked out because that's, that's the thing that you do. I have a thing, you have a thing that's yours. And you stop judging it and you're just like, cool, let's get through this together. You're good. We're good. Mm. Unintentional. How do we move forward? What's the next step we can take? What do you need? And it, it just, it diffuses everything. It disarms everything. And sometimes it takes people a little while to be like, wait a minute, you see me and you accept me and you're going to maybe give me what I need. Hold on. It was that easy. And it's like, yeah, it is. Mm. But again, we were never taught this, so we don't do it. Yeah, there should really be a, <clears throat> I don't know, a class on this or something, right? A workshop, maybe. No, I mean, but it, it is funny how how simple that move could be if you just knew it and practiced it, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's the that's the part about this is, is always kind of, I don't want to say disappointing, but whenever I learn a piece of new information that just seems like, oh, duh, like how come I didn't? think of that. Like that seems so logical when somebody smart lays it out for you and tells, walks you down the road like you did with me tonight. But like, it's, it seems like we should know this information and it's weird that we don't, you you know, simple doesn't mean easy. Simple means Hmm. simple to understand, not easy to apply. I mean, how many great things in life come without doing some intentional focus? right? Like none of it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. It's not reality. At least for me. I mean, I actually think it's somewhat of a gift because if you've experienced life without doing this and then you start and then you see the difference, you appreciate people, relationships, community, yourself so much more than you would have if you were just kind of born with like, oh, this is easy. I mean, it's like anything, right? Like when you work at something and you start seeing results, that's where confidence comes from. That's where resilience comes from. That's, you know, and then you're like, oh, 
something I can't do. If I, if I put effort into it, I'm good. Same thing. Mm. Yeah, no, that's, that's, yeah, no, it's, and then it makes me realize that I, I just need to, uh, like, I guess it's almost overwhelming sometimes if you think about all the stuff that you could be doing, if you just applied more attention to it. But like, this is something that I think is so fundamental that I, I, at least like I told you in the last, you know, recent amount of time, I've just been like consumed with consuming this information, right? Like I just, mm-hmm. I really think it's, and there's a lot. And I, I think the one thing I wanted to bring up earlier and I, I forgot, but you know, the rate of change that we see these days is like just getting out of control mm-hmm. fast. Right. Yeah. And so I got to imagine that doing what you do, the research coming online every day in this is awesome. Like, I mean, and it just keeps getting more awesome. Like, and yeah. so it must be exciting. Do you see that as well? Yeah. I mean, like we, we have to adapt to so much so fast and the number one predictor of well being is community is having, is a feeling, a mm-hmm. sense of belonging of social support. And if we don't know how to give and receive that, which we don't, it's impossible for us to actually navigate change in a resilient way. Like we can't be, I mean, what's the stat? Um, Lack of social support is twice as accurate at predicting the long-term effects of PTSD than the severity of the Mm. trauma itself. Wow. What? That's crazy talk. Yeah. Right? Wow. And it's like, if we don't know how to give support, but also receive it and to allow someone to give it to us, which is exactly what we're talking about, we're not as well as we could be. We're going to hold on to the hard things for way longer than we need to. Even the things that aren't so hard, but they just stay with us, right? If we don't, I mean, there was a study done, I forget the name of the the, the Native American tribe, but there were, we know um, Vietnam, most mm-hmm. soldiers that came back from Vietnam, many, I would say most, had traumatic, like terrible PTSD, right? They'd seen terrible things. There was one group that 0% came back with PTSD and it was this one very specific Native American tribe and they came back and they went back to the reservation. They went back to their tribe and their land and their people and they talked about everything and they were welcomed into this supportive community and they were, they could talk about it. They didn't have to, but they could, like they were accepted and not one had PTSD. Because That's they incredible. Had the social support and the community that received them, and they had purpose. And I mean, it's fascinating to me that, like, how have we not figured that out as a society? What? <laughs> well, those blue zone reports that you see from time to time that, that that track centenarians. It's funny how at the top of that list, it's always community. It's never like how much you know are you paleo did you eat carbs yeah. like it's not you know how much sunlight do you get like i mean it has nothing to do with any of that which is funny because that's what you kind of think you're like oh look this report on healthy habits or something yeah, yeah. Like you think that like you know oh, they don't smoke well actually a lot of them smoked a cigarette a day into their 90s but okay <laughs> like i mean so it's gotta yeah, be the it's sardines like, it's gotta be the sardines yeah <laughs> but the, the community thing is crazy uh, like it, because it just would never have hit my radar until i started down like you know, the longevity hacks and stuff like that's community. Yeah. They're like, forget about how much rapamycin you're going to take. Just, you know, be in a community, be loved by everyone around you or, and love everyone around you and probably live just as long, you know? So. Yeah. I mean, longevity yeah. is one of the things that it, I mean, it predicts health, it predicts longevity, it predicts mental health, it predicts happiness. What was, 
mm -hmm. grant study. Um, they tracked men graduating from Harvard for 75 years and measured everything about their life. They wow. measured income, family, partnership, love, amount of children, jobs, job satisfaction, raises, scrotum length, literally, you name it. Wow. They measured That's everything. hilarious. And they the, found that they I, I want to know what the weird correlations to scrotum length there are. Yeah. The outcome of the study was there is not anything that's even close. Happiness is love, full stop. That's all that it is. That's the only accurate mm -hmm. predictor of greater happiness. Love, that's it. Wow. That's sort of a breathtaking you know, bubble up, right? Like you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> all of this stuff, including scrotum length. And this is the answer. It's just, it's like a hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy. What is it? Like 42? <laughs> like, it's like, oh, what? <laughs> you know? um, if, if that correlates into some scale, man, yeah, like, <laughs> it's a little tighter today. You yeah, better leave yeah, me alone. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah. Wow. Oh that, God. Why, that, am, I, I mean, why that, am I on this show? I'm yeah, sorry. <laughs> but but that is like something that I think is also hard, man. I spent 10 years in Manhattan and you're from, you have, you're in New York yeah. too, right? Yeah. Brooklyn, Manhattan. Yeah. Guess how many people love each other in Manhattan? Not a fucking one. You know, like, it's like look, everyone look. hates everybody. It's crazy. If you're you in know? Midtown, everybody hates everybody. Yeah, I know. It's, it's and I, I'm, I'm somewhat home. kidding, but I'm somewhat not. Yeah. Right. You know what? But, but can I, can I say something about that? This is, this is the weirdest thing. So after nine 11, right, this huge, horrible thing that happens, something changed in the city. And and it did for for quite a bit of time. I saw people holding doors for yeah, each other. Yeah, people yeah, were looking yeah. out for each other. And and you know, so at the core, you know, there might be this uh, shitty outer shell. But I do think that uh, you know there there was still, especially after seeing everything that kind of went right in the city after that, there was this like really entrenched community that sure. I think other people that are in New York we're all a part of, you know, on some level. So it wasn't like we're going to hold hands and talk about our feelings, but there was a shift there and there was, it was and, great. And to add to that, like, I remember the stories, like, uh, you know, the one thing that leveled the playing field was where were you when it happened? And you don't even have yeah. to ask, like, you know what you're talking about. Everyone's on the same page and it's not like a kumbaya thing where we're holding hands and, and humming, but it was like a, Oh, I was doing this. I was doing that. And people instantaneously, you could like literally see, talk about aligning nervous systems, but it was like an instantaneous mm -hmm. like lock uh, on that. And I still have that today. I mean, when the 20th anniversary came out, my kids sitting right next to me right now is a VHS tape I took, which accidentally captured mm. the second, the first building falling. Because oh, my, my apartment was on in Hoboken looking at the World Trade Center, like literally had a bird's eye view of the World Trade Center. What? And yeah, so so I'm filming this thing. We my wife and I have never looked at the tape. We we I have no idea what's on it. And my wife worked across the street from the World Trade Center and just had gotten to work right before it happened. And so she's like, no. I literally saw bodies fall out of the building. I am not watching your fucking videotape. Mm. Full stop. <laughs> like there's oh. no 20 years later, it's still full stop. My kids are, I have a 14 and a 10 year old who are like, you were there like completely. Cause like from their frame of reference, this is a story in the news, right? And every news it is like when we talk about Kennedy getting assassinated, right, right, it doesn't, right. it doesn't hit the same for us yeah. as it did for a generation ago. 
Well, I mean, I grew up in California, so I got a lot of friends out there. You can't, they, they don't, they, they don't remember where they were at when 9 no. happened. Like this, like this isn't a thing for them, right? No. Like it isn't. So, no. you know, when you tell the where were you story to another New Yorker, it's like instantaneous, like locked gaze, like there's nothing else happening in the world. I like, mean, you know, so you will love this. The very first brave conversation over coffee that I ever hosted was for 9-11 survivors, first responders, the Muslim community and students. Wow. Because what the framework is meant to do is help us be more human and celebrate our differences, but create connection and be able to say like, we're human at the end of the day. I mean, like you can, you can march and you can fight and you can enact legislation and you can try and I hope our leaders do things. You could do all these things, but if you can't sit across the table from someone, maybe over coffee and know that they believe something different from you, but if you can't just genuinely want them to be well, we're toast. Nothing that we do or enact or march is yeah, ever sure. going mm-hmm. to take hold. And so that's, I mean, when I talk about this in terms of corporate, you know, it is conversations about culture and, you know, helping you be better. But when I talk about this as like what my heart is for this, like these are, we're, we're helping people start the conversations that will harmonize our world. Like, we need to be able to have hard conversations and talk about our differences, but not in a not in a polarizing way, right? Like it's a really tough time to tell the truth right now because if oh, you're yeah. judged, you're an outcast. And I don't even know, I don't even need to get into what our, happens to our brain when we're ostracized from the tribe, right? Like rejection is the worst thing mm. that can happen neurologically. Um, and so it's, it's crazy that you brought up 9-11 because that's one of I, – I remember specifically my dad saying like we have, we have to get together and he would always mm-hmm. bring people around the table. It would always be over coffee and we would talk about like what needs to happen, what needs to change and like these are the conversations I was having as a kid. But there's something so special about we've got – like we've got to get together. What is, how do we listen to each other better? Like what didn't you hear? Like if someone said something and you took it – like. How did you hear them? Not what did they say wrong, right? Could you have heard them differently? What didn't you hear? What weren't you listening to, right? Um, that yeah, that it, it. Well, I mean, I wish we would have had cups of coffee laying around here. I, you know, we could have all had coffee together here. We'd have brought you back to this next the, time, the space. You know, <laughs> yeah, next time for sure. Um, but yeah, how, how was that? Just as a curious curiosity, that sounded like a pretty powerful experience for you. Was it? Uh, was it as powerful in real life as it sounds? It was amazing. I mean, there's yeah. something that happens when you watch people who believe that they have differences drop them mm-hmm. and realize, wow, we're so much more the same than we realized. And, you know, the person that I was against, I actually now want to go have coffee with. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's at the end of the day, I mean, that's what I love about brain science. It doesn't matter what we look like on the outside our brains are very like they're the same we need the same sure. stuff and we're scared of you know it, it looks different but we're scared of the same things we have the same needs neurologically and it's it i mean that to me is what levels the playing field and so it's it's not about gender it's not about race it's not about political ideation it's not about anything it's about like your values and how you can feed your family and how you can protect the people you love and build community and be safe i mean Creating safety through conversation is, to me, through the way you listen to other people, to me, is our greatest public service right now. Because 
We don't know how to listen and exactly no one's okay. Right. I was just going to say like you are in a perfect time and space to, yeah. to be good at what you are good at because at, literally everyone needs it. <laughs> like all of us. But speaking of which, like, I know you don't do a lot of courses per year, like, but you have a couple things going on. Like what, walk us through a couple things that you got going on over there. Like how do people sort of inquire about this sort of thing? Cause I, I, myself, I told you I'm on this list as well of people that are, <laughs> I just need to um, move a few things around, but I'm, deeply interested in doing one of your, uh, one of your yeah. sessions for sure. And I will be on that list soon. Oh, totally. Um, so I mean, you can go to braveconversations.com, braveconversationsobercoffee.com, yeah. either one, they both lead to me. Um, gotcha. and so we, we work with companies and if you, if you're a leader that has a team that there's something going on and you can't figure it out, we can usually figure it out because it usually has to do with <laughs> humans. I mean, organizations don't change individuals, humans do. Right. Um, and so there's there's that line of things, but there's also because individual individuals were like, but you know my company can't or I you know or whatever, I want to do this. And so we started doing a six week course that helps individuals. And sometimes you know sometimes we get like the CEOs of companies to you know college kids, and it it depends. It's everyone. Um, and sometimes people are you know the director of HR wants to take wants to kind of get an inside first before helping to do this, like, and helping to guide this with, you know, with their teams. Um, and so that's, it's always interesting, but we, we gather every week for six weeks and we go through and we, we usually do it quarterly. Um, sometimes mm. it depends. Sometimes we actually have two going at once because, you know, we have so many signups and it's hard to say no. So if I have the space, like I will. Um, and it's, it's one of the most rewarding things ever because it's just individuals who care so much about moving forward in life. And it's not, you know, corporate is awesome, but we went to corporate. I mean, we would, so every time someone adopts a Unimatic coffee pot, which is a story that we didn't even get into and don't need to, but mm. if you want to know more, watch the Netflix documentary coffee for all. Um, and you'll learn the story. Um, but anytime someone adopted a Unimatic coffee pot, we would tell them how to have a brave conversation. But the problem was we couldn't reach that many people. We're a small company. Um, and the cool part is that when you're doing this with corporate, when you learn something at work, you bring it home and you talk about it at dinner. You talk about it with, you know, your family. But when you learn something personally, you don't often bring it to work as much. And so you need, we needed a way to be like, we need, we need to get this information out to more people. So we ended up doing it with corporate. I mean, my background's in people and leadership. And so, it, you know, it made sense. Um, right, but. Right. It was it was a fascinating way to say like wait a minute how do we use the platform of coffee I owned a coffee company for ten years um, mainly after losing my dad that was my heart that was just what I did um, but my background's not in coffee at all um, and so we wanted to how do we take coffee and use it as a platform to do what we believe the world needs most um, and that is have these conversations so we do uh, your question we do an individual course for, uh, for six weeks. We, we work with companies. I mean, I, I speak and do workshops. We, I mean, we can, we can do deep dives with companies. We can do, you know, we can teach you how to harness the power of zoom and this virtual world to actually impact your culture. It's a huge opportunity. You can change your culture. Yeah. So many, yeah. I mean, you could literally just keep, yeah. Now than you ever could, and people are like, "Oh no, it's so hard in this virtual world." And it's like, "No, trust me. There's science behind the fact that this is 
this is a huge opportunity for companies right now. And so we just want to help them jump on it. Yeah, sure. No, it's great. I, I'm super looking forward to jumping on that. I told you I'm trying to wrap up some coaching June. stuff. The and next some one's other... June, July, middle of June. Oh, that July. should actually time out great. Um, yeah, no, I'm very excited to try because like I said, you you fit right down the middle of my current interest set. And uh, and I think it's going to be great to take a deeper dive with you. But uh, I love it. I'm but so thanks excited. so much. I, it's so good to, to finally do this. I know we uh, went back and forth a few times, so I'm glad we yeah. finally figured out a, a time. Yeah, thank you so much. I think we should have you back on with the coffee. Yeah, we I should mean, talk we should more about that. Coffee next time. Tom and I usually drink in scotch or in gin, but uh, you know, we <laughs> so. <laughs> record this in the evening, right? Yeah, well, a I bit mean, later. Yeah, like an hour or two later, not yeah. not too too not much too difference. Much. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, but you know, cocktail uh, sometimes just makes it a little bit a uh, little fun, but it also probably contributes greatly to our sidetracks, which happened noticeably less this time. <laughs> so, yeah, they did. They did. <laughs> so, <laughs> Tom and I love us a little tangent. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, it's, I love them too. Yeah. It's hard not to t- get in a tangent when you talk about weird science stuff because almost inevitably you get this too. You're in the middle of hearing something about one study. You're like, oh shit, that reminds me. That's about this, this other, other thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and all of a sudden you're like, what the hell were we talking about originally? I where forgot. We? Yeah. Where did this come from? Yeah. No, I totally. So cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. Yeah, we'll, we'll put uh, links to everything in the show notes and that's, that'll be that. All righty. That awesome. sounds great. Thank you guys. You're awesome. Yes. Have a great thank you. night. Have a great night. Be subversive, irreverent. Health is wealth, but you knew that. Everybody knows that. But so was following us on social media at Irreverent Health. And check out our website for more exclusive content at irreverenthealth.com. Oh, I like this. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Irreverent Health.